Welcome, everyone, to Season 3, Episode 115 of the Premier Pod. I'm your host, Yashpika, joined by my co-host, Tyler Chan. And in this episode, we've got some pretty interesting and some pretty insightful discussion points about uh, some of the bigger news that was happening around the Premier League and just a bit outside the Premier League um, and bringing in a little bit of business expertise uh, for some of the topics or one of the topics. But to get things started, we have to bring it to probably the biggest game of the weekend. Like we mentioned last week was the EFL Cup final. It was Tottenham's chance to finally get their hands on their first silverware since 2008, I believe, was their last time they won a trophy under interim manager, 29-year-old interim manager. Manager Ryan Mason, but unfortunately, Spurs fans, as you guys know, the final did not turn out um, very pretty for you guys. You guys ended up losing one nil, but it was a City masterclass. Tottenham, from basically the start of the whistle, did not look like they were into the game. They could never get any of their star players on the ball. It was just pretty much just sit back and hope you could hit City on a counterattack. It didn't work. City were the dominant team. Um, dominant team in this game and they thoroughly deserve the the victory in Man City um, have won their fourth EFL Cup in a row which is pretty pretty crazy stat but the bigger news that came out of that was the state that Tottenham Hotspur are in right now because as we mentioned last week the timing of Jose Mourinho's firing was really weird and you know we don't know for sure whether it had to do with him not participating and not wanting to bring his players out because of the Super League but you fire the manager that is probably one of the best one-off managers of history, of European coaching history, and you're firing before a final, a cup final match against one of his biggest rivals, one of the guys that he has shown that he can outclass and out-tactic for one of these one-off games. You fire him and you bring in an inexperienced 29-year-old manager to be basically be on the interim basis, and it was not a good look for Tottenham because... As soon as the whistle, as soon as the whistle was done, the full time whistle came. All the news and speculation came on Hyunmin Sun, Harry Kane, and just the entire Tottenham Hotspur squad. And Tyler, I gotta ask you this: Are Tottenham or do Tottenham need to go full on rebuild mode um, going into next season? At this point, I don't think they have a choice because you really think that Harry Kane or Hyungmin's son is going to want to stay at Tottenham based on, I mean, it really would be based on who their next manager is. Because if it's Ryan Mason, no. I don't see it. <laughs> I don't see them staying. And it really is just based on who has enough money to get them out of that club. Because, you know, like Man City, they need a striker. So I could see them, you know, trying to snag Harry Kane. And then for Hyungmin's son, who knows where he might go. But, you know, the tears from his face on the pitch afterwards from Hyungmin's son just crying on the pitch, getting comforted by Man City players. Sung Min was just thinking, he's like, please, please, God, Man City, just buy him. And then I'll switch allegiances from Tottenham oh to Man City <laughs> because I'm sick of being a Tottenham fan. Just only disappointments. Oh, my and I'm goodness. I'm just like, Spurs going to Spurs, mate. This is what you picked. <laughs> he's like, <laughs> I hate this. Even our, our good friend, listener Galen, he was just, he put a little post in our group chat saying, like, man. Why can't Tottenham win anything? I'm just like, (laughs) (laughs) I'm so sorry, but I I really think it's time to rebuild because literally there wasn't an answer that can even call from on the bench. Like Bale, he should have started and they should have went way more didn't even start either. Mm -hmm. And I was like, they had some. And Dombele didn't start as well. And, you know, he's not like a full on attacking midfielder, but he's still much more creative than Harry Winks and, uh, who, who else did they have? Uh, Sissoko. I think they started Sissoko and Harry Winks. I think Sissoko got subbed on, but like he ultimately was the... Oh, it was Ososo, I think. I think it was yeah, Ososo. Yeah. But Sissoko ultimately was the one who lost his man, uh, Laporte, mm-hmm. in, in the corner kick. And then he lost his, his man he was marking. And then Laporte got the header goal to win, of all people. Emmerich <laughs> Laporte gets the game winner. But literally, I feel like Tottenham, they, they're starting 11 for that game. They're already set to lose. Like they, they yeah. already lost the game before they even got on the pitch because of just the mentality. Like it's it so uninspired. It was so uninspired. It was very defensive. They had two shots on target the whole game, or two shots in general the whole game. While yeah. City had around twenty, and <laughs> like literally, I don't know where they can go from this. Like they literally, yeah. if they bring in a new player, they bring in someone else to help boister the squad. Most of the players, as we mentioned before, like I should have mentioned on previous pods. They're in their prime already. Like, yeah. Human Son, he's already in like his late 20s. So is Kane. 
And most of the other players there on Purgatory, like Dele Ali, he's also in his prime. Gar- Gareth Bale's already past his prime, as we like to already say. And some of the other key players have already left. Yeah, You got Christian Eriksen, he's out. And he would have been like a key player that could have definitely helped rejuvenate yeah. this team and like made a comeback. And, you know, Vertonghen's out. So literally all these players that was on the main Tottenham squad, I felt like their window of 2017 to 2019 was like their window to maybe win, win one trophy. Like it, they missed it. So yeah. I feel like at this point, they should probably sell. I know it sucks. They should probably sell at least Sun, I think. Just to get some money and then maybe start rebuilding with some new youth players. But at that point, it's kind of a risk because like you don't know which youth players at this point with the pandemic and like less statistics and like it's a little harder to scout these days to see like who would be the next, you know, sun replacement. But, mm-hmm. you know, if you give it a Kane, I feel like it's a bigger statement because then he's yeah. your talisman. If you get rid of him, then you change the whole face of the club because everything goes through Kane and mm-hmm. the whole club definitely feels that it steps down a level when Kane's not in the pitch. So, yeah. you know, Son, he can replace Kane every once in a while, but, you know, you definitely feel the hole when Kane's not there. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And I think what's uh, you brought up a good point about 2017, 2019 kind of being that window because that season or those couple seasons, I, Spurs were on the brink of doing something really special. I mean, they got all the way to a Champions League final under Pochettino. They got... Um, to an FA Cup semifinal against Poch- with Pochettino. Um, they were really close to winning the Premier League at one point. I mean, that the year Leicester won it, they had a fighting chance of maybe overtaking them to win the title. It didn't happen. And as much, I guess like the, the, the beauty of the Spurs squad from that time was that a lot of their core key players were in their, you know, they, they were young. They were kind of going into their prime. And then now, as we look into 2021, that same Spurs squad that a couple years back was kind of going into their prime, they're all essentially in their prime or they're really old at this point, like 34, 33, like Aldevarold in his late, you know, early 30s, but kind of decreasing in quality. Sissoko kind of going down in quality. Mm-hmm. Um, Harry Kane and Son being at their prime. Loris is getting up there in age. Um, Eric Dyer not really living up to his potential that we saw Harry Winks not really living up to his potential. Um, Deli Ali kind of hitting a plateau in his career. Um, all these players that we kind of thought were going to take a next step or hold their longevity, it just hasn't proved to be the uh, proved, proved to be the case. And for Tottenham, they they're kind of in this hole, which which I agree that they have these two mega stars that are basically carrying the club at this point. And both those stars kind of know that this club or these quality of players around them aren't good enough to help them get to winning a trophy. And now. Now it'll be a game of do both of these players kind of force their way out of the club, like sort of like Christian Eriksen kind of did where he was just like, I want out, I want a new challenge. But Daniel Levy kind of being, I wouldn't say a cheapskate, but being a little tight with the money, um, he'll definitely wouldn't let these guys leave unless it's the right price. And it's just kind of shocking because you could ask probably any Spurs fan, this is probably their best for these past couple of years have kind of been like their best Spurs squad that they've seen in a very long time, but they haven't won a trophy during that time. And that was the biggest thing. They brought in Mourinho, they sacked Pochettino to win a trophy and they gave up on Mourinho, Mourinho within a season and a half. Um, so I, I just don't understand the, the, the Daniel Le- Le- Levy way of thinking right now, because you, you, you did everything to sack Pochettino to get Mourinho. Then you sack him before a cup final. And now you're left with this big hole of these random hodgepodge group of players that um, it just doesn't seem right anymore. Like the spirit that, that, that Tottenham kind of mojo groove that Pochettino had built is all just gone now, completely gone. Mm-hmm. And you also have to remember that Mourinho plays in a very unique way like the way he sets up his team is very different from most other people most Mm -hmm. other coaches most other managers so if at this point you have to rebuild because the way that most other managers will you know set up their team and the chess pieces they have with the players that are available to him are going to be a lot different from you know traditional teams because you know i mean like all right now we have hoybier we have harry winks we have you know eric dyer they all kind of can do the same thing but usually they all start. And at this point, you know, I, I'm kind of thinking back to like 2011, 2012, when the Tottenham team was like William Gallus in the back. You got Rafael van der Vaart, Luka Modric, you got Gareth Bale on the rise and like Peter Crouch 
Shout out to Peter Crouch. (laughs) (laughs) But literally that team, it wasn't, it had a lot of potential, but it was a solid team. Like it would be, you know, you know, trying to chase Europa League, never really make it into the top four. But at the same time, it was still like you like it wouldn't really surprise you too much. And like it was like just like a consistent solid team. And I feel like this Tottenham team is so volatile. Like it could be really good, but also it could be so bad. And it's kind of like how Yush describes his man U squad. <laughs> it's just like you don't know if they're gonna win five two or gonna lose one nil. And literally for this team, I feel like they need to get that consistency back to like at least be somewhat predictable and not be as volatile in, in their results. Because right now, as Yesh and I said, there's really only two big stars on the team, and that's Sun and Kane. And unless Daniel Levy just happens to find a billion dollars somewhere just lying around to replace almost the rest of the squad and just kick out all the deadwood, as Yosh would like to say, yeah, like I don't think there's any hope that they can really make a second wave run to you know find a, a trophy. Because I feel like this might have been it. This yeah. EFL Cup, this might have been like that last hurrah. And I think maybe that's why Daniel Levy decided just to sack Jose Mourinho now because he thought, what does it even matter if we win this trophy? Like, I think after that, this is the peak. This is the last peak before it just dies. Like when you're in watching a, you know, one of those hospital series where it's like you see like a dying patient and then you see like the little heartbeat sensor. <laughs> it was just like beep, beep. <laughs> and then right at the very end, rather than say the last words, it's like goodbye. And then it's just like beep. It's like it's just just flat lined. Literally, this was their <laughs> last beep. And I think Literally. that's why Daniel Levy might have just been like, you know what? It doesn't even matter at this point. So he just I still think he should have just kept Mourinho, but mm-hmm. and then pulling Ryan Mason on that, that's just kind of the worst case. That's being a bad boss. Yeah. I feel like he gave the keys to like a very inexperienced guy that's just like who's loved the club. Like he's a boyhood fan, been there since like in the academy ages, but then giving him the keys with like very limited resources and basically eight games left to play. And then you you put him his second game in charge is against one of the best managers in the world. Mm-hmm. It's like how are you how are you supposed to do well in that yeah. at that point? You need a miracle. And even the first half going in nil nil into halftime was a miracle in itself. Mm-hmm. But I mean, for a, a scoreline of one nil, it's kind of impressive. But at the same time, when you look at if you watch the game itself, it's like it was clearly offense versus defense the entire 90 minutes, basically. Yeah. It's just like if so you look at it a ton, but their finishing was a bit off. Yeah, their finishing was kind of garbage. <laughs> Surprisingly. <laughs> it was just it was like what happened? what happened? They didn't have their shooting boots on. And lucky for Tottenham, it kind of kept the game somewhat interesting for them, but it was it was no chance for Spurs. So that's why I feel like right now, if you even think to next season, who could they even bring in? Like this. I don't really see a way that this team can be saved. I feel like even Arsenal have more of a chance to improve next season because they have a youth foundation of, yeah. you know, Kyle Saka. They have, you know, Emil Smith Rowe. They have, you know, Pepe is starting to get a little better and he's yeah, not in his private Tierney, either. So, you know, Partey, yeah, they, have, they have good, uh, good starting 11 pieces throughout the squad. They just need a little bit more talent. But Spurs, I feel like it's just so top heavy where it's just you have two stars in the front half, and then that's it. And then you have Lloris, but then the back line is a mess because um, Regulon hasn't really... I mean, he's shown flashes of like, okay, this guy can be pretty decent as a fullback, but um, really hasn't done it that that much. And then Doherty hasn't been injured, but it seems like when Jose Mourinho was there, he still preferred to play Serge Aurier. And then Aurier isn't the most consistent right back ever. And then center back wise, Aldevarold has kind of dipped down in his form. And Eric Dyer, as we've seen, I don't know why everyone keeps playing Eric Dyer. He <laughs> is just not the move. But I guess what the reason you play him is because you have Davidson Sanchez, who's also not very good at as well. So they they just have a lot of holes in their um their team. And uh it's just kind of crazy because you thought for the longest time that the Spurs squad was perfect and all they needed was like another manager to kind of just push them to the next level but um it just seems like that extra year or two just finally caught up to a lot of these players and then their performances just went like shoot just dipped completely it was it's it's clearly a problem now when you see your most creative player is Harry Kane and your highest goal scorer is Harry Kane like literally He's just carrying the whole team with Sun. It's just them two. So I feel mm-hmm. like if there's a team that if they wish they could just sell everyone for market value and just re- <laughs> just rebuild, I feel like it would be Tottenham. And at this point, they're 
with their new manager, they probably are gonna, I think, because, you know, usually when a new manager comes in, they put in their own, uh, not credentials, but like their own tactics, their own influences for what they want from players and what they want and what kind of players they want. So I guess that goes to a good question. Yeah. So yeah. who do you think will be their next manager? Because I, in my opinion, I don't think it's going to be Ryan Mason. Yeah, no, I, I definitely, I don't think Daniel Levy can go into next season and be like, Ryan Mason is the guy because I think he just needs to build up more experience, but he has shown in the short period that I, don't, I just don't think he's the guy. Nagelsmann is no longer available because he's going to Bayern Munich, but there was a couple of names that have kind of been thrown around, not official reports, but kind of people um, kind of talking some interesting names that I think would be maybe worth a shot. Brendan Rodgers, current manager of Leicester City, Scott Parker, current manager of Fulham, and then Eddie Howe, who used to be the former manager at Bournemouth, um, are some interesting names that I think could potentially come in um, to Tottenham. I think Brendan Rodgers might be a bit of a stretch because if you're honestly comparing both the clubs, you'd, ha- you'd have to say Leicester City is in a much better uh, like position, not just table-wise, but longevity-wise right now because of the core that they have and the way they kind of um, the way they kind of just do their in- entire club where they can sell their big-name players for a ton of money and then bring in someone just as good or even better than the person that they just um, they just uh, sold. So the way they kind of do the business, and it seems like Brendan Rodgers kind of has a perfect mesh of like expectation and the type of players that he has. It's like the perfect mesh right now. Scott Parker... I think would be a little interesting because he obviously he used to play at Tottenham, but he is a young manager. The way he plays obviously is a little bit much more progressive. He has a clear way of playing right now. Kind of struggled at Fulham because uh, maybe, you know, quality of players isn't there, but um, what he has Scott Parker at full at, at Tottenham, there's a chance for something special to go there. And then Eddie Howe, I've always been a fan of Eddie Howe. I, I thought that a, you know, maybe a couple seasons back that he could have had a shot to go to some of the big boys in the Premier League, kind of missed that opportunity and then obviously got relegated with Bournemouth. But Eddie Howe plays a really well, really fun, exciting way of football. Very attacking, very front forward, um, high press, a very fun way, enjoyable way of watching football. The exact opposite of Jose Mourinho. But if you bring in Eddie Howe, it's going to be definitely much more of a project. Let him build something and then see where it takes you. Sort of what they did with Pochettino when he came in. So I definitely think they have to go to the route of a manager that is going to be on the project side. They can't go for a quick fix manager. Mm -hmm. Because also, they don't have the financial abilities to just have a quick fix manager. Because usually those kind of clubs you see from like Bayern Munich. Or you see, I mean, Bayern Munich is kind of different because they have like a good foundation in itself. So... Manager, I feel like doesn't have to like do too Real much. Real Madrid did that before they had Real Zidane, Madrid, yeah. Like just cycling through Barcelona, cycled through managers, mm-hmm. and look at what's going on with them. At <laughs> least they're in millions and millions and hundreds of millions of euros in debt, but <laughs> they can still continue to do it because they're you know one of the biggest clubs. Well, Tottenham, they're a big club in England, but in the world, yeah, eh, maybe top twenty, <laughs> maybe top thirty. But I think. If I were to choose for Tottenham, there's also Mauricio Sorry, who is going to be. Uh, but uh, I, I don't, I don't really like that move. He's like a very. You're, you're going to like uh, Tottenham fans already did not like the way Jose Mourinho played. They're not going to enjoy Sorry Ball, which is yes, yeah, Sorry Balls. <laughs> <laughs> he wins games. That's the thing. It's, he does, it's, but it's, it's it's not fun to watch. It's not fun to watch. Ask also, any Chelsea fan. I feel like Sorry also is more of a manager that you can kind of slot in. Mm-hmm. And he's not an, he's not a project manager. I feel like he's more of a manager that's kind of like win now. Mm-hmm. And Tottenham need more of a project manager. I feel like Scott Parker and Eddie Howe are probably like the better two to choose from. I think if I were to pick, I mean Scott Parker, he has a history with the club. He used to be a Tottenham player, and he did a pretty decent job bringing Fulham from relegation, getting relegated with them, but bringing them back up. From yeah, promotion, he did bring them like back up a, and everything. From a miracle, I would say, because I wasn't expecting them to get. Yeah, it was like a, it was season. like a Tom Kearney like random free kick, just like somehow went through like the Brentford goalkeeper. It was like a miracle free kick. Oh yeah, it was like Sam Byram or something. Yeah, so, yeah, like, that's it was, who it was. Yeah, miracle free kick that got them into the Premier League. Yeah, so I mean, you know, that's something Yush and I were saying. Like, you make your own luck, but at the same time, <laughs> I'm like, I don't know, Scott Parker. You're not sold on him. I'm not sold on him just because I feel like Eddie Howe 
his resume of just finding consistent success in the Premier League plays different. And he also, Eddie Howe, had a much smaller club uh, transfer. Yeah, club and, and also just transfer budget. Brought Boardmouth to the Premier League. I mean, he was their mm-hmm. guy for like the longest. He was a young manager too when he came in into Boardmouth. Yeah. It always looks like he's wearing a racing coat too. It's like just those kind of vibes. <laughs> so I feel like if there were someone that brings in a culture, like either or two would be good. But I feel like Eddie Howe would just have a better roadmap for what to do. And also giving more funding, joining from Bournemouth to Spurs, is going to be really interesting to see. It's like, oh, how is he going to spend the money? Who would he buy? Yeah. And he won't be like, he, he won't be them. like relegated to just buying um, Jordan Ive players, of, <laughs> you know, right. players like Jordan Ive and other, other players where you're kind of like, um, yeah, you can find some hidden gems, like some hidden diamonds, but a lot of times you're just like whiffing at like uh, taking a chance on like certain players that are, were from the big Premier League clubs that didn't exactly make it and hoping they can make it at your level. That's, yeah, but I would say Eddie Howe and then maybe we'll see Tottenham do another run in maybe seven years, <laughs> <laughs> maybe a little shorter, five to seven years, but I don't think it's going to be happening anytime soon. I think at this point as... Yoshi and I kind of been alluding. Our take is they should probably rebuild Daniel Levy. Yeah, missed the window. It's uh, it'll be tough because if they miss out on Europe European competition, they're going to be missing out on a ton of money. And obviously, they they built the new stadium, so they need to. Uh, they're kind of in a situation Arsenal was, where even though Arsenal were qualifying for Champions League, they still had trouble funding. You know the fun funding of buying new players and such, where they were kind of like a selling club. And now Tottenham, I feel like, are going to be in that position where they're now have to be more of a selling club because they just won't have the resources to buy players because of the because of covid and how it's impacted all clubs but also they have to pay off the new stadium so that's not going to be cheap (laughs) so daniel levy's got a very big project and task on hand and i do feel bad for spurs fans because um these past three or four years it seemed like you know they were going to get there but then it's not looking likely now. So we'll see where where this kind of goes. It's going to be interesting following them for the rest of the season and seeing how they kind of progress and seeing if they can get Europa League. But that will obviously, we'll have to wait and see what happens there. But uh, we wanted to switch it over to a top four battle. Well, not exactly top four, top four, but a team trying to get into the top four. It is Liverpool um, succumbing again to a late equalizer from another club. And this time it was Newcastle. And for Newcastle, they have a new hero in uh, Tyneside, which is Joe Willock, the Arsenal loanee. He has been um, coming up clutch. Him and Alex St. Maximum have been coming up clutch and basically helping Newcastle secure um, safety in the Premier League. But Joe Willock scoring once again, a late equalizer um, to make it 1-1 and get Newcastle that draw. But Liverpool, man, they... they, um, succumb to another late equalizer and i i want to bring this question i know we brought it up before but not similar to tottenham where they need to do a full-on rebuild but do you think there has to be a bit of rebuilding going on at certain areas of the team of the starting 11 or do you feel like the same core 11 can make a run if they all stay healthy next season I think the same core 11 can make a run. I think we just need Van Dyke back for sure. Jordan Henderson needs to come back. And then that in itself is defense and midfield all kind of sorted out. Mm-hmm. Naby Keita, I'm still a little on the fence about him because there's still some talks about him possibly making a move out. But oh, really? I feel like he's, yeah, there's been some talks because like he hasn't really lived up to that 50 million pound. Yeah, I remember price when tag. they signed him, I was like, dang, you guys got, you guys yeah, got one like player. Too. I was like, this guy's going to be like Conte, except just creative. Not really more defensive, but, <laughs> you know, this just has like some good vibes where he's just going to run around the pitch and then mm-hmm. make some magic happen. But that hasn't been the case. He's just been injured most of the time he's been at Liverpool. And then when he does play, it's very minimal. And What about Ox? Is he? Um, is there reports on him going on his way out or do you still like uh, prefer to keep him? He's. I feel like there's certain locker room players that you should keep. I feel like Ox is one of them because he's just all around like a good person that will kind of jeer up everyone else. And even for Keita too, like he's, you know, Mane's good friend. So it's kind of like how Moreno kind of stayed on the team because of <laughs> Coutinho. But then once Coutinho left, it's like, all right, get Moreno out of here. But <laughs> no, I don't, I don't think Mane's going to leave. I think we still got him. I think of anything, we just need, as a team, Liverpool needs to get another striker. 
that yeah, can just... I think you guys need a like a starting eleven striker. Like you guys got mm-hmm. away with going um, a good, you know, four or five seasons without one. But I think this season has shown that you guys need a, like a legit talisman up there that can be the main goal scorer when everyone else is not firing. I think that's so yep. important to have in a squad. Because I, I recently watched a Daniel Sturridge confirmation of all the goals he scored at Liverpool. And I was like, man, this guy was just just so clinical. You had him and Suarez. Yeah. Up. And that was one of my favorite seasons I ever watched in the Premier League, even though we got second place. But literally, that kind of ferociousness, that kind of, you know, ferocity from just skull, skull score just up there. It's like, oh, he's going he's gonna to slot it in. That kind of poacher is something that Liverpool's missed for a while. And I feel like Liverpool, most of the time, we don't score that many, you know, straightforward goals compared to, you know, when Daniel Sturridge is on the team and Suarez is on the team. The The goals are simple. They're not, like, spectacular. I think that's what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like, when you had Daniel Sturridge, it's like, holy cow, he just chipped a keeper from yeah. outside the, the box, outside the goal box. And then, with you know, Mane, Salah, and Firmino, is a lot more like, you know, not like Tiki Taka, but more like, you know, always oh, slotted it in. He just, you know, placed it well. It was just on the simple finesse, things like that. Not really anything that really gets you off your seat. And it's more like easy chances. That's what I should probably describe it as. Whereas from Suarez and Sturridge, you got a lot of more of the crazier goals. You get more of the like strikers goals where it's like Suarez scoring from 40 yards out against Norwich. <laughs> and you would never really see that. Like, I feel like with Liverpool, you really have to get in the box to take a shot. Yeah, like you don't really see anyone else on the team taking a shot from outside the box, and I'm, it's a little frustrating because like you don't really, they don't really have that in their lockers. Like, all right, I'm gonna just score right now from this angle. I don't even care. Yeah, or but, at least you have know. that confidence. Like one of their players have the confidence to just take a shot, just rip it, mm-hmm. and see what happens. So, you know, Salah scores a lot of goals, but at the same time, I'm just like, he's not a striker though. He's not. He's he's not gonna be it's in those same forward. positions. Yeah, he's just a right. He's a right winger. He's a right forward. He's a false nine. Firmino's also that too. Like Firmino, he's done really well the past few seasons as a false nine, as a pseudo striker, and Cam at the same time. But I feel like right now, some teams have probably like figured him out. He's not really holding the ball as well, retaining the ball as well too. So I think we just really need an extra goal scorer that's up top. That's not Diogo Jota. Diogo Jota, I'd still feel like should play on a wing because he he's really good it's just he's also not like a consistent goal scorer too he's not like the Raul Jimenez of his team it was Raul Jimenez who, who was you know the Wolves goal scorer so yeah I think if he's like a secondary along with like Mane Salon Firmino like just one of those like three of those four just playing behind a for sure striker that could get you those goals you know like an early Holland or someone like that that's just a pure finisher yeah I think that's what we need and like I feel like that would like solve most of our issues because you know defense right now is an issue, but that's because everyone's injured. Once they're back, I feel like that'll that'll come back and that'll fix its own self with Van Dyke back, Gomez back, Matip back. I think that'll resolve itself. And then once Henderson's back in the midfield and Fabinho moves back in the midfield, that'll be you know fixed as well. But it's just the striker, like these front three, front four with Diogo Jota kind of slotting there every once in a while. That's been a healthy part of the team for most of the season, and yet they're yeah. playing like they're the they're the issue. Yeah. So I feel like if we just get a striker up there, that'll just solve it all. But yeah. it's just like, who can we buy? <laughs> yeah, that's that's what I was gonna say. Um, there's not a lot of top quality strikers available on the market. They're either really young or really expensive, or they're like literally in their prime, and there's no way that team is gonna sell their striker. Exactly. And also the hard part is that Liverpool, they're not really playing as if they want Europe next year. Like they don't, they're not really playing as if they want Champions League, I feel like, because a lot of the chances against Newcastle this past weekend, they should have finished. <laughs> I'm thinking like they should have finished and at least had two or three goals. But just something about them just wasn't there. Like, that. like the seasons before, they were so clinical. They would finish a team off 4 0, 5 0. You know, exactly. Points, like this, this game was at home. Like they should have been putting Newcastle to bed. Yeah. But they still gave Newcastle two chances at the after 90th minute. VAR, is left VAR saved us. One. Like it should not have been chalked off, in my opinion. But Newcastle, like they got lucky and, you know, God's gift repaid them with karma in the same game. 
in the 90, like fifth minute, or 94th minute over, at a time. <laughs> and, you know, it came back to bite us. And I was just like, man, you just can't close out games anymore. <laughs> and even I'm thinking too, is like, you know, we're using backup players like Kabak and like Fabinho playing our, our, our best center back of the season is Fabinho of all people. So it's like, that's already an issue, but we could have scored more and yeah. we should have scored more. Like, I don't know why Alan St. Maxim was just causing so much havoc and he was like the star of the show for that day. Whereas, you know, we had Salah, Firmino and Mane all play throughout the game and it was just like, we couldn't really unlock them. We had some chances, just couldn't finish. And I, I was going to ask this. I know um, there's been some chatter because when Thiago signed for um, Liverpool, the hype was around him. Like this guy was like, oh my gosh, like Liverpool are the champions and now they just took this next step because they got Thiago. But um, from an outsider's perspective, I'm not just looking this because I want to hate on Liverpool, but um, I don't know. I, I don't know if I've been like the most impressed with Thiago. I know he's had his moments where like, oh, wow, he's done like, you know, some really cool stuff. But I feel like a lot of times, at least from an outsider, the way Liverpool have always played for the past couple of seasons is like fast, you know, on the ball fast. You know, you you have your couple moments of possession, but then you're looking to get in behind, get, you know, get the quick attack going in. But Thiago, I feel like it's the player that he is a maestro in himself, but he is a very like he likes to slow the game down and really like mm-hmm. slow everything down. But do you feel like he has caused some of the problems for Liverpool because of his style of play of being more of that slowish, you know, wants to slow the game down and, you know, kind of be that that quarterback per se. Like he likes to dictate everything, dictate everything. Yeah, I feel like a lot of good teams have someone who sets the tempo. Like at Real Madrid, it was Tony Cruz and even at times Luka Modric. Like they both kind of are really good at setting the tempo for a game. And then when you go to Bayern Munich, it was, you know, Goretzka and Joshua Kimmich. Like they can both set the tempo. They can both make their own runs as well. Mm -hmm. But with Liverpool, usually everyone was just on the same tempo. It was just always high press, go ham, you know, just constantly running. Heavy metal, like the whole time. And with Thiago, he really was not that kind of player. He really, as you say, set his own tempo and it's a lot slower than usually how Liverpool plays. And I feel like we cannot play the same way with Thiago on the team. And it's a way that we usually don't play. But at the same time, a lot of the starting 11 compared to like, or like at least the formation, it used to be like a 4-3-3 and now we're kind of switching between a 4-2-3-1 at times and a 4-3-3, but like some of the main people in the middle aren't the same. You know, yeah. them's kind of struggling at times. Oh, yeah. like what, that, Has he signed a new contract? Or is he like, no, is this he's guy going to go on a free he's, at this point? He's leaving for a free at this point. Oh, and that, that just sucks. That that I actually, know. as a club, that is the worst because now it's like you can't even get any like money off of him. It's just like this guy's just going to go for free. Yeah. It's kind of like Tiago coming to us. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, I guess it just worked out. He it just worked out. Just but at the same time, Thiago, he's just a little rash at times too. He always gets a yellow every time I see him play. Just like a random, like it's not even like a reason why he had to get the yellow. He just lashed out at someone. He's like, all right, yellow card. It's like, <laughs> why? So I don't know. It's just, he's, uh, it, it, it doesn't really seem like a good fit. If, if I'm being honest, like it just seems like he's a player that got brought into Liverpool, but he's not a Liverpool player still. Like he's just like a good player that still doesn't really know the system that well. And kind of does his own thing. Yeah. And with his magic, like he's able to make his own chances for other players and other, you know, things like that. But at the same time, I just feel like he wasn't really a good fit. If this was like a one year contract, I feel like I probably wouldn't resign him. Dang. Like I feel like I'd rather have Curtis Jones over Tiago yeah. at this point. That is true. He's younger too. Like have a chance yeah. to develop him and everything in the system. That is interesting because you guys also have that option with like Kabak, the uh, center back, but. Um, I have seen a lot of Liverpool fans on Twitter basically talk about, I I don't know why, they really go in on how slow Kabak is. <laughs> and you've mentioned it he before. He's not, he's not the uh, he's not the quickest, like moving laterally and everything. But yes. um, would you, because I know it's on, a, you have him on loan from Schalke and have a chance to sign him. Would you bring him back or are you just going to like let him go at the season after this? There's a That's a big question that a lot of people have been asking on Twitter. And I'm on the train that says no. I, I kind of don't want him because let me put it to you this way. He's a good player, but we've still been conceding goals. <laughs> and 
it's like, oh, you only conceded one or two. It's like, I don't want us conceding any goals. Like, yeah. oh, the standard should be with Van Dyke and Joe Gomez, where like we'd just be getting clean sheets most games. Yeah. And for Kabak, we usually concede at least one. And that's the kind of standard we had back in the days with like Skirtle and Sako. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, it's like maybe we'll only concede one, but we'll outscore him like three to one. And I'm like, at this point, that's funny because that's, that's like my expectation now. It's like, um, maybe we'll just get away with like scoring. Like, we'll concede one, but maybe we'll score three and we'll just win that way. It's like, no, it's like we should not have that standard. I know he's young, but it's just, it, he reminds me of like Reese, Reese Williams, the other youth center back that we had. It's just, I'm like, how are you a professional player, but also so slow motion at times? Or it's just like a player runs past him and then it's just like, 0.5 speed just moving <laughs> along like he can turn his head he, like he doesn't turn his head fast it's just like what is happening it's like I could run faster than Kavak at this point it's like what the heck so <laughs> I don't know it's there's just something about it where it's just like it's not on the same level at times like he he makes some crazy plays sometimes but at the same time there's some chances where I'm thinking I feel like that is not the caliber of player that we should have on the team yeah where it's just like that goal like could have been prevented or like that goal should, probably should not have happened at Liverpool. Yeah, like, there should be a player that should be ready to go at this point. No, and that's he'd be like the fifth string if you were to be on the team next year. And people are like, "Why do we need a fifth string?" It's like uh, clearly we need a fifth <laughs> string. But well, you I have the, think, um, the 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 youth center back. His name is like Nathaniel Phillips, or is it Nathaniel? Yeah, Nathaniel Phillips. Phillips. Yeah. I'd rather have him over Kabak. Yeah, I would so, say he he's done pretty well. What I've seen um, games, mm-hmm. I've seen him play. He's been pretty yeah. decent. So he's a decent fourth string, and I'd keep him. But Kabak, I would save the money, not get him. And, you know, we, we don't even know what happened to Ben Davies, the Preston North End man. Yeah, what hap- I was like, what happened to that guy? I, was that, I, I don't know. He made that one appearance against Brighton, right, and then just never returned? I think he's just on the practice squad. <laughs> he's just, <laughs> just taking the spot on the bench. But for me, I don't know. I, I think even with... Fabinho as a possible center back as well at times. Like that's already five. So you got Joe Gomez, you got Van Dyke, you have Nathaniel Phillips, you have Matip, and then Fabinho could also be that fifth one. So it's like Kabak could be like the sixth person. And then we also have, you know, Ben Davies and Reese Williams as well. So it's I, I would say my money not get Kabak. I, I just think he's good, but he's not good enough for the club. Yeah, like Liverpool quality. Like yeah, he's not Liverpool quality. He can yeah. he can play for, you know, a mid table team. Like I think if you slot him into a a Crystal Palace, or if you slot him into like a Newcastle, he'd be okay. He can start for most games, but I don't think he should be playing for Liverpool. That's yeah. just my take. No, that's a, that's a good take. I I um I haven't watched enough of Liverpool to really analyze like or really look down and look at uh, Kabak. But that's the the same vibe I've been getting from a lot of fans on Twitter. Liverpool fans on Twitter, kind of like let's uh let's not keep Kabak and let's just go with what we have and go from there. But mm-hmm. that is uh that is a good point. But yeah, Liverpool. Conceding a late equalizer again, so that's why Tyler is just like we need to get a new center back, or we need to get our old ones back to not yeah, have and then get a new striker. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> so there are some troubles that are going on in Liverpool, but we'll see what happens next season where they can kind of retool and um, kind of go go forward from there. But a top four match that we thought that was going to be game of the week was West Ham Chelsea ended up being a snooze fest where Chelsea won one nil and. Yeah, it was a very boring game and nothing nothing really happened in this game. It was a typical Chelsea two-kill type of victory where it's set up shop, be very structured defensively, and then win. And that's what they did. Chelsea won and it looks like Chelsea with this win have pretty much, uh, I wouldn't say wrapped up top four, but have put themselves in pole position to uh, get one of the final top four places in the Premier League. It was a big win for them. And West Ham, these back-to-back losses, uh, it, 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 it pains me to say it, but it, it, just, it might be the end of the top four journey, the Champions League journey. Uh, these two back-to-back defeats have been uh, crushing for their uh, Champions League hopes. Mm-hmm. And even for me, you know, this, this whole weekend in itself, the games weren't that great. And it was a little rough to watch. But, I mean, this Chelsea squad... This is their bread and butter under Tuchel right now, just winning ugly, just getting that one nil and then just set up shop. But I would say West Ham, they got a little unlucky because they got one of the most controversial red cards of the season where Brendia, he cleared the ball. And when he swung his leg up, he cleared it to the other side of the pitch. But as it came down, 
a player was coming in to block the clearance and then he his foot landed on the other player and he got a red card for that. Yeah. And a lot of players are saying the game's gone. Like literally yeah, he got a red Jesse card Lingard for was like I think he put on Instagram like VAR's BS in his um um end game like like after the full-time whistle once everyone got back in the locker room he literally said disappointed with the result ps vr is bs something like that like, it, like i would have i've been on the same train too like i'm not you know a big supporter of either team like I, i'd say i like west ham a little bit more than chelsea but even then i kind of want both of them to get a draw so that liverpool have an advantage <laughs> so i mean for this uh it was just so it was, you know, textbook where it's like it could have been a red. But if you look at the context, it shouldn't have been a red because yeah. it literally, where is he going to put his foot? Like, where is he going to land? Is he supposed to just leave it hanging after he takes that big swing to clear the ball? It's like, what? that's not even natural. And it's like, he's, you, should put, you should put your foot down to, you know, get balanced. Otherwise, he's just going to fall back. And ultimately, he just got really unlucky with the, the timing and he got a red card for that. And that's a big drawback because you know Craig Dawson got the red card the week before and then yeah. now another center back Buendia gets a red, red card cards. so it's a little unlucky for West Ham but I think as you said this kind of momentum destroyer of just getting two losses in a row it's going to be really hard for West Ham to bounce back but luckily for West Ham Liverpool aren't really doing too well right behind them and you know Tottenham Everton are right behind Liverpool I, both of them are also not really doing too high either. Everton got a little lucky of their win, but like we're going to talk about that in a bit. But you know, I think West Ham, if anything, they'll probably get Europa League this season, which is yeah. kind of sad to say. But it's still a pretty but, big achievement. I think I think yeah, they got Europa League um, that Dimitri Payet season, and then that next season was absolutely awful. But hopefully, that's not <laughs> the that's not the case. Hopefully, they can continue the momentum. But yeah, like we said, Chelsea pretty much punched their ticket for top four. West Ham. Unfortunately, the dream might be gone, but we'll see how it goes. As we've seen this entire Premier League season, things change on the dime literally each and every week. But um, we wanted to move it over to Arsenal-Everton. And this game, Everton got a very, very lucky win. And it was essentially, Burton Leno made a horrible mistake in goal. Um, I mean, I don't really know how to explain, explain the mistake, that it was just a shocking mistake. And... Yeah, that was pretty much it. Nothing else happened in this game. It was a shocking Burnt Leno own goal that allowed Everton to uh, win the game. And it was a just a random, one of those random games that Arsenal lose once again at home. But Everton picking up some points, trying to get the European spot. But the biggest news I would say coming out of Arsenal was before the game, there were bunch there was a bunch of protests basically calling for owner Stan Kroenke to sell the club um Arsenal fans gathering in waves um holding up posters holding up signs saying Stan Kroenke out sell sell Arsenal um and everything like that and it was making huge noise that you could literally hear the protests when the players were doing their pregame interviews you could actually hear some of the protesting noise coming into the stadium that's how loud and how crazy it was getting and it led to a lot of discussion about should Stan Kroenke sell the club? What's best for the club? And because of that, recently Spotify owner Daniel Elk, who is a boyhood um, Arsenal fan, has come out and actually has put together um, enough money to present to Stan Kroenke, um, basically to, in a way, to kind of to get Stan Kroenke to sell the club to him. So then Daniel Elk can now be the new owner of Arsenal. Nothing is official. Like obviously, nothing is um, officially on the table of an official offer. But um, from everything we've been seeing, that Stan Kroenke still doesn't want to sell. But it, it is big news that um, someone has publicly come out forward, actually having like actually having the money and going up to Stan Stan Kroenke and um, putting together an offer. Um, and it'll be interesting to see what happens because Stan Kroenke has owned the club for a while and um, he's not a selling man. <laughs> he's not a selling man, but also not a great owner. Yeah. He's kind of more pro LA Rams than pro Arsenal. And he doesn't even, a lot of Arsenal fans are saying when Stan Kroenke bought the, the club, he didn't even know what colors they wore. Like he just literally bought it as an investment. Yeah. And Daniel Ek, in the meanwhile, he's, you know, a huge billionaire. He, he's the owner of Spotify worth like 3.2 billion net worth. And the team itself is worth like 2 billion. But I think. Ek, like Ek as a fan or Daniel I'm just gonna call him Daniel <laughs> Daniel as a fan is gonna be a lot better for the club he has a lot more support from even the 
alum, I guess alumni <laughs> or former players of the team. Like you got yeah. Dennis Burkamp, you have Patrick Vieira and Theron Re all supporting Daniel to take over the club. But and with this growing protests and like derisiveness from the fans towards Stan Kroenke, maybe that'll incentivize them to sell. But it's really much someone. You know, we they have like the willing buyers. Just I don't know if they have the power to just say, "All right, Stan, you got to sell it now." Like I don't know, it has to be his decision. I believe, yeah, if I'm correct. So ultimately, he can still just you know be stubborn, you know, take it to the chin and say, "You know what? I'm just gonna stick with the club. I don't care what anyone else thinks. I don't care if the fans hate me." And I mean, I don't know how I would personally deal with this. I would I would probably sell if I were Stan because I wouldn't want all that negativity for the rest of my time I'm, a, I'm an owner yeah at arsenal and then you can just focus all your time on just the la rams and <laughs> who else, he knows what other clubs he owns but you know you have to daniel and then daniel he's he's already ready to go you have a buyer literally just get, it's a get out of jail free card where it's just like you've been in it's such a big mess and then now you can finally get out and you have someone who probably would do a better job than you <laughs> yeah and it, so, it was interesting because i remember when they were having this discussion um uh, Tim Howard brought up a point that he actually has played under a Stan, Stan Kroenke um, old own team, which is the uh, Colorado um, Rapids of uh, the MLS. And obviously, Tim Howard played there after he got done playing with Everton. But um, from Tim Howard's perspective, he actually mentioned that Stan Kroenke, um, people kind of have this false uh perspective on him where Tim Howard said that even though he is more of a step back type of owner kind of takes a step back and you know lets the club kind of handle their business Tim Howard basically said that Stan Kroenke does care about um he does care about the clubs that he owns he does care about um you know making sure the club is doing well and seeing them succeed he does actually care about that and he, even though he may not be a very public facing owner in terms of showing up to the games being you know front and center of all, everything that he owns. Tim Howard was basically saying that he does care. And I thought that was interesting because I guess from a former player, he would have, I guess, a, an insight to how that is, how he's like as an owner, since he is a, a former player of one of his former um, teams that he owns. But I thought that was very interesting. I, you know, obviously Tim Howard is a former player. He has the merit of saying that, but you know, I think, I think as fans, I think a lot of fans do appreciate, especially, I think the disconnect comes is because Stan Kroenke and a lot of these American owners, when they come in and buy, you know, the Premier League teams and the Premier League clubs, they don't have that connection to that team because a lot of people that are fans of their teams in Europe, they have their connection because they are boyhood club. They supported it throughout their entire life. Their family were supporters. Their family have been going to games. And I think for them, they just want to see that an owner is front facing acknowledges the club cares about the club and i think they just want to know that they just want to know that they're appreciated and that they are cared for and i think a lot of times with the american owners you don't really see that um you kind of just see them basically it looks like that they're just cashing off on the investment but i think if 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 fans got from owners a bit of sympathy and just a bit of like hey you know we hear you we're trying our best. We, we want to do better. But if they don't see that, I think that's when fans get really frustrated because they just want to know, they just want to basically be heard, be seen, and know that they are cared for by their owner. Mm-hmm. And that's why you kind of see with this kind of scenario where for the other big six clubs in England that were part of like the Super League as well, you're not really seeing as much backlash compared to like, say, Arsenal for getting the owner out because the Super League was just like the icing on the cake for why Arsenal fans wanted Stan Kroenke out. Like they yeah, originally wanted United him out. Glazers. There have been a yeah. tons of Glazers protests. Like United fans want the Glazers out at all costs. And then for Liverpool, at least, it, I feel like it's still kind of 50 50 split where it's like you, you've seen John Henry and, uh, you know, Fenway Sports Group do a decent job the past decade. You know, as I said in the last episode, where we, we won trophies. We finally won trophies. We ended a lot of droughts under fsg but you know at this time it just was not it was not a good look it was, it was basically as i said last week it's like this is something that's unacceptable to do as an owner just to like kind of be your own make your own decision just for you and not really take the club into consideration but at least for arsenal's take it's literally arsenal fans would not be surprised by this they're like oh wow 
Of course he'd do this. This <laughs> is Stan Kroenke. And like we even talked about Stan Kroenke before the Super League even happened. So it's like even even we're not, you know, immune to even talking about him. So I think this would be a big boost for Arsenal. They can get it done. But, you know, we'll just see. We'll just be keeping it on the taps in the meanwhile, because I don't think Stan's going to be quick to sell. But, mm-hmm. you know. Things things happen fast. Yeah, life yeah, we'll, we'll, fast. <laughs> we'll, we'll definitely keep a keep an eye on this story because it is very interesting that um, we have an actual buyer that wants to publicly has stated that he wants to buy the club. So we'll we'll kind of see what happens there. But we wanted to quickly mention before we get into our previews of the game, is this the championship? Um, two clubs have been promoted officially, been promoted to the Premier League, which are the two clubs that actually got relegated last season were Norwich and Watford. Um, they will they have been confirmed and they uh, will officially be going up next season into the Premier League. So seeing two clubs that got relegated last season back into the Premier League, it'll be nice. Watford um, always seemed to always be a really tough team to face. And Norwich, um, unfortunately, let's see if they can actually stay in the Premier League for more than a season before going down again. So it'll be a huge task. But um, yeah, it is... It's uh, it'll it's nice to see like the two clubs that got relegated kind of use their resources to get back up in the Premier League. Not it's it's pretty nice. It's kind of crazy how Norwich always finds a way to win the championship and then go straight back down. Yeah, it's, it makes no sense. I don't know why how they can keep doing that. It's they're really consistent with it, and you know our our key boys are back. We got Pookie. Timo Pookie. Pookie party's back. Yeah. We got Buendia's back. Todd yeah. Cantwell's back. Yep. He's so, back as well. Should be a party. And then should for be, Watford, Sars back. Ismail Asar. Ismail Asar. You got Troy Deeney. Mm-hmm. You got Will Hughes. Ben Foster's back. <laughs> I know it's last time I, I remember Watford in the Premier League, it was them destroying Liverpool. So I don't really have fond memories of them <laughs> right now, but. You know, it's. I'm glad to see these two in particular back. As always, it, I feel like these two are kind of interesting to have in the in the Premier League compared to, like, say, a West Brom. I don't know why. I just don't like West Brom in the Premier League. It's just never <laughs> an interesting game. But for these two, they can make it some interesting sometimes. And you know, Norwich, they're going to be there for a season and then back right back down. And then Watford, who knows? They're going to have 16 managers in the next three years. <laughs> And then that chaos is back. So they're yeah. always both always a storyline. It's like yeah. out was what I'll say. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. I, I'm excited though to see them back. Um, they definitely have some nice players that will be nice to see back again. Definitely Pookie Party will be fun. Hopefully he can get um he can get the party started next season and uh score some goals. But it'll be interesting to see how they perform um next season. But um moving on to the preview section, there is one big game this weekend, like the uh the Premier Prod rivalry, as we always say, but um, two of the other games that we kind of picked out. Well, the first one was Burnley West Ham. Um, Burnley had been picking up some form recently. They beat Wolves. I think it was four one. It was a crazy scoreline. Um, something that you do not expect from a Burnley team. But West Ham in that two game slump um, lost another player to a red card, and because of that, I I think um, I think Burnley at home. I think they'll. I think it will end up being a one one draw. I think Burnley will be like a little tough. So I think they're going one one going for a draw. This is a preview that I kind of slotted into our rundown because Burnley are now in that relegation zone fight where Newcastle, they got some good form and then kind of jumped out of it and now kind of put Burnley and Brighton in that little hot seat of there, just right above the drop zone. And they do have some some leverage from Fulham by a whole six points, but you know, like things can change. If Fulham go on a run, then they're then in some squeaky bum time. But I think with being a good time to face West Ham right now, they're on kind of like a rough streak of mm-hmm. just losing. So and just getting really unlucky. So I think that one one is literally what I always said. So I'm gonna say one one as well. Burnley at nice. home at Turf Moor. Yeah. It's gonna be kind of wild, but it's gonna be a hard fought match. We're gonna see what's gonna happen, but it's gonna be a very physical match, one one. Yeah, both calling draws there. And then we have Tottenham versus Sheffield. Sheffield picking up a surprising win. A very rare win in the Premier League against Brighton and then Tottenham coming off that very disappointing uh, loss in the EFL Cup final. All that turmoil surrounding the squad. I think there's going to be a little bit of a of a, of a a bounce back effort um, because I think there's just been so much negative energy that I think some positivity will be thrown at this match. But 
as we've seen with Tottenham, they just can't sustain it the full 90 minutes. And because of that, I'm actually going for another draw. I think Sheffield, I know they don't score a ton. I don't. I know they don't win a ton, but I think this game will actually finish 1-1 as well because I just don't think Tottenham are in the right mental state to kind of hold out and pull out and grind out a victory at this point. I'll, we're actually going <laughs> to say 1-1 as well, <laughs> mate. Because Tottenham, I feel like... For this scenario, Sheffield, they have nothing to play for. It's just pride. And yeah. clearly pride was enough to get them a victory last week. And Tottenham, meanwhile, they still have things to play for. They have a Europa League spot to play for, but they're just so sad. They're just so depressed. It's just like, how do you even come back? And it's just going to be even more depressing when they draw 1-1 to Sheffield. So I'm going to say 1-1. You know what? I'm just going to keep the trend rolling because I think the next <laughs> prediction... Yeah, definitely the next one we cannot agree. There's no way. Yes, there's, there's no, no way. way. But... But two as we always in a row. say, as we always say, it's the Premier Pod rivalry. It's the biggest game of the Premier Pod podcast. It's Manchester United versus Liverpool, the historic rivalry. Um, there was definitely a lot more buzz going into it during the first matchup of the season. I think that was when United were in first place, and then Liverpool were still in the top four. And it was that game that ended, uh, uh, I think it ended up nil nil, right? The game ended up nil nil. Uh, believe one, so, one. Yes. was it one one or no no it was, but it was a draw a, yeah it was a draw <laughs> for sure and we always joke that we always hype this game up like to super crazy amounts but it always ends up in a draw some sort of way but this game i feel like is going to be a little bit different because i'm not united have basically i feel like have locked up top four but i want to have that second place spot i don't want to have you know third or fourth place because um if you finish in second place you have a more favorable draw when it comes to the champions league um, group stage in terms of where you get drawn out of the hat. And Leicester City are not too far behind uh, Manchester United. And Leicester City kind of have an easy game this weekend that they probably should win. So it's very important that United pick up a win against their uh, most hated rival. So I'm going to go with a, a 2-1 win. I think we will concede, but I think the way United have been playing, they have found a way to win some of these big games and they have some big game players like Bruno Fernandes, Edison Cavani, Paul Pogba that have recently started to show up a lot more during these big moments. So um, I'm going to go with a 2-1 Manchester United win um, against Liverpool. For me, I'm going to say that this game, I don't see any reason why it'd be different from the typical scorelines that we'd see from this (laughs) matchup. And based on what happened last weekend, just all the results, just 1-0, 1-1, Even Manchester United, 0-0 against Leeds United. A Leeds United that concedes over 50 goals and also yeah. scores over 50 nil, goals. Nil. It's nil-nil. Like I was I was very shocked. I was very surprised that no nothing was scored that game. But United and Leeds have like been some of the highest scoring mm-hmm. or Leeds have conceded a bunch and Manchester United have been one of the highest scoring Premier League teams this season. Still finished right. nil-nil. So I, I'm thinking I said one one for the other results. Hear me out. This is another 1-1. <laughs> oh, no. I think it's going to be a 1-1. One, one. across the board for Tottenham. One, one's across the board. First time probably in Premier Pot history. That yeah. I'm just saying 1-1 one, one for every single scoreline. But Dang. I really think it's there's going to be more shots than just you know one goal per team. But it's just the lack of finishing from Liverpool. And I feel like at times, Ali's son can put the team on his back. And certain games, certain other games, he's kind of like Burt Lano where he just makes some whack you know, <laughs> error and then just leads to a goal. But I think in these certain games, I think he's going to step up. And more recently, he's kind of stepped up more to cover for Kabak. <laughs> so I think it's going to be a 1 1. I think Trent might score, my guy. But yeah. it's going to okay. be a very meh kind of game in my opinion i don't think it's uh, gonna be as high i'm hoping i'm hoping it's a hype excited game i hope the players bring like the passion and energy to it even though there are no fans i really hope they both can kind of bring that um that energy to the game um it seems like tyler froze for a little bit but we're all back we're good but i hope it, i hope it's an exciting 2-1 affair i i hope uh united pick up the victory but tyler's going for the uh the one one draw but um uh with that being the last uh, last game we previewed that uh kind of wraps up episode 115 for us as we always say it will definitely help us out a lot we definitely appreciate it if you could leave a rating on apple Podcasts. if that um if you're listening on that podcast platform it definitely helps us shoot up the charts and helps us get noticed by other people but also if you if you don't want to leave a review that's totally fine leaving a any type of rating but also um sharing the podcast with your friend or anyone that you think would um find this 
find this uh, podcast helpful or enjoy Premier League soccer or any soccer talk, that's definitely appreciated. But even if you don't want to do that, just taking the time out of your day to listen is all um, is definitely worth it for us. And we definitely do appreciate it. Um, you can also give us a follow and subscribe to us on our YouTube page at the Premier Pod, where you can find the video version of this podcast. You can also follow us on our social media pages, Twitter and Instagram at the Premier Pod. Um, send us any questions that you would like for us to talk about on next week's episodes or any episode. Um, and we'll definitely get back to you and respond and, uh, yeah, send us any questions you have, but yeah, that kind of wraps up season three, episode one fifteen for us. Thank you guys so much for listening and watching. Um, thank you guys. Peace. Peace.